Let's humanize the workplace. Hi, my name is Vivian Aqua and I'm the workplace wellness advocate. And today will be so spicy. We just had a conversation or I just had a conversation with the other panel members and we were already warming up, warming up for tonight's episode. And um, I'm going to keep the introduction short, just a little snippet, but if you want to watch the replay, go to you can go to YouTube or otherwise wait a few days and listen to this episode in your own time. Listen to this episode in your own time because it will be energetic, it will be inspiring, and it will definitely blow your ears off when it comes to diversity in HR. But before I'm going to go, I'm going to introduce the panel. I also want you to know that if you want to stay updated with the the new uh, the new guest speakers or the new introductions or everything that has to do with let's humanize the workplace go to this site go to bit.ly ht htw and then news and you won't miss out on all the juicy details i even have a surprise maybe for you so go to this site like i said tonight it's going to be I think one of the epic episodes of Let's Humanize the Workplace. And it started with me just being curious, just having a conversation with Marjolein Vlug, who has been on uh, for a while. So I'm going to introduce Marjolein Vlug. I'm also going to introduce Lars Schmidt, Kate Bischoff, and Monique Arrington, because we need to amplify diversity in HR. And I'm going to bring them on now. Let me see. Oh. So, the first introduction is Marjolein Vlug. She helps SMEs be great employers through welcoming inclusive HR communications that match their employee identity. Then we have Lars Schmidt. He is the founder of Amplify, he is also, uh, which is also an HR executive search and consulting firm that helps companies to navigate the future of work. And he's also the host of the 21st Century HR podcast. And then we have Kate Bischoff, and she advises organizations in a wide range of industries on employment law and H uh, HR issues from recruitment and workplace culture to terminations. And last but not least, Monique Arrington, she recruits A players for businesses that are mission driven and she fixes the broken recruiting process. Now, I have to show something on my screen to make to make some sense out of, out of this uh, out of this conversation out of this panel talk because it started with this. Um, Marjolein Vlug attended me, reminded me of you have to look at Lars Schmidt because he recently posted something and it might be interesting for you. And from then on, I uh, stalked Lars. <laughs> <laughs> I stalked Lars and I asked him, you know, we have to have a conversation about this. So we are going to discuss Amplify Black Voices in HR and uh, also going to talk about this petition that Kate Bishop started about uh, SRM. I call it SRM, but you say SHRM must okay. support Black Lives Matter and the LGBTQ community. So we are going to have a conversation about that. But before I'm going to start that, what... And why compelled you to speak up now? So Lars, can you share? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think this, you know, as we look at the the protests that, that took place after the murder of George Floyd, and I think this heightened consciousness, uh, you know, for me personally, and I think everybody has their own kind of personal story and narrative, um, I had never heard the term anti-racism before that. Mm -hmm. And as I started, you know, reading Ibram's book on how to be an anti-racist and just learning more about that, you know, I, I did my own kind of personal soul searching around, like I've always viewed myself to be not racist, but there's a big difference between not racist and anti-racist. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think for me, it was kind of coming to that, you know, uh, learning of that term, coming to an awareness of what that actually meant. Uh, and then seeing the, you know, knowing that I had an opportunity to try to play a role in that. So, um, yeah, that was really my 
uh, kind of connection to this. And this was all happening simultaneously with, you know, Sherm not making a statement, which I know, you know, Kate will talk about. There's a lot of other factors that I think uh, cause people, especially in the space of HR, to do some deep kind of thinking and introspection around the systems that are established within our companies and uh, our, our publications and our conferences. Uh, mm-hmm. Really, you know, consciously try to understand how those are oriented in a way that creates an equity. Uh, and then once you've identified that, what are you going to do about that? Yeah. And Kate, what about you? What started this whole thing? Oh, I think HR is due for a reckoning, quite frankly. I think yeah. we're, we're ready to have some difficult conversations. And for those who have been very active in this space and trying to do our best in organizations, it's time that we grow that titanium backbone and use our voices. Uh, we sit in a position in our organizations where we are paid by the managers that we are trying to criticize for not having enough diversity or not being inclusive enough in the workplace. And so for a lot of us, that makes us be very tense and very fearful of using our voice and using our power to say, we can't do this anymore. And so I think the confluence of seeing police brutality in the streets, knowing that that kind of racism doesn't just exist in police forces, it exists in our workplace every day that it is our time to start using our voice and not be afraid to say, we can't do this anymore. So that's what I'm trying to do. And Maria Lyme, why did you become, join this force or become an ally in this whole movement that is out there? Well, the, the whole point of my work is that people in the workplace are people and they should be allowed to be the human beings that they are and that goes for everyone and that doesn't go more for one or the other that goes for everyone um and with recent events in the us and the black lives matter protests and everything that's been happening um having an impact in the netherlands as well mm-hmm. having an impact on me i mean when it all started i was i was on the news all the time like i was at the beginning of covid like <laughs> constantly on my phone and then putting it away because of my kids and then picking it back up mm-hmm. because this is such a, a such a, a relevant thing to the whole point of my work uh, and I've been I've been trying to learn more about this the the, the I would say the skin color aspect of diversity mm-hmm. um, and there's so much information that's become more widely available now for me to do my work even better um, so it's it's getting that information it's having these conversations to learn and to share and to develop ideas together that is a great opportunity now and just the whole i don't know it just makes so much sense that i i, I can't not say anything mm-hmm. um um and yeah and, and the whole point <laughs> of not, when you don't say anything then then you're consenting then you're not, yeah that you're consenting that's not okay that is so not okay that i can't be silent and monique what do you think because i i know you and the people that don't know you you have been talking about um toxic workplaces what we can do to change but ever since this um what do you think about the people who are becoming an ally becoming speaking up for us for the black voices or for the people of color um, I think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done before you can just start calling yourself an ally. Mm-hmm. I think there needs to be a lot of self-awareness and thoughts and break a lot of patterns. Um, I think there's a lot of people not understanding what an ally is even what it is. Like, for instance, Lars saying that he's never heard the term anti-racist. Like that, that shook me to the core because I'm like, wow, like, that is such a simple concept, right? We know we're not racist. We don't look at people, um, color, skin color, things of that nature. But to be anti-racist is to be active, right? So, um, you know, that is kind of where I am. I've been in these back rooms. You know, I've been in HR. I've been in recruiting. I want these conversations that we have with our board members, with our hiring managers, with our CFOs, our CEOs to be out in the public. 
Um, and then to kind of be able to go and say, we're not going to be silent anymore. Um, all of these conversations that we're having, I've already had with HR departments and hiring managers and the reasons why these things are not okay. So um, the reason why I'm interested in speaking about that is because we can't be silent. And for allies, I will say, before you make yourself a real true ally, please educate yourself and really understand that you have a lot of biases yourself. And the biggest issue that we had in the civil rights was white liberation, liberalism, people believing that they were a part of the cause, but they, and it, but they weren't. And that is something that I don't want to happen again. Um, yeah. There's a lot of confusion with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's also a lot of confusion um, when it comes to, can I talk about racism? Can I talk yes. about the skin color? Can I, what can I say? What can I do? Because I don't know what, uh, should I say something? Because I haven't said anything in the past, but if you are in a position where you want to speak up, try and find those who can support you so that you can speak up. And indeed, like Monique said, educate yourself, educate yourself. Um, and also what I wanted to add on is um, a lot of people of color are dealing with racism, uh, with, with so many isms, but racism on a daily basis. And um, I'm up to a point that I don't I don't share any personal experiences because for me, it's open up Pandora's box, which is traumatic in itself. Yeah. And I've dealt with that. But if you are investigating or if you are interested, there are so many things that I can share with you that I can forward towards you so that you can do the investigation on your own. Come back to me after you have done your investigation so that we can have that conversation. So mm-hmm. um, coming to this, HR is talking about creating the best employee experiences, the best employee mm-hmm. journeys for all employees, including employees of color. But how come that I don't see that? How come that I don't see that? Oh, I wish I had a good answer for you because uh, there isn't a good excuse why there mm-hmm. isn't a good international HR platform for this. Mm-hmm. Um, I started this petition for SHRM to stand up for Black Lives Matter and the LGBTQ community because we should be leading the way. We should be providing actual tools and tips on how to do this. We in HR are the, you know, we get pooped upon for mm-hmm. our lack of good culture creation. Yeah. We get the blame for when it, it's bad. So we should be the ones pushing to make it better. And so I am disappointed. I'm saddened. I'm so frustrated that we can't have an organization that is out front of this, that is leading the charge instead of just sitting back under the guise that this is a political issue and not an mm-hmm. actual issue and Mm -hmm. so i i want us i'm pushing i'll pull you if i need to but i i'm doing my darndest to get us out front because i know my clients are and i love that about them so i'm trying to bring everybody along with them i'm so done with the fact that people say that it's a political issue when uh you have to know that people of color uh, are not only dealing with the trauma from uh, covid or this whole lockdown They're also dealing with a double layer and that is this movement that is going on. And that's why, you know, people have so much emotions. So I just want Mm -hmm. you to know that people of color are going to a challenging time, even though they are there, even though they are doing their work, they are going to a challenging time. So be mindful of that. And uh, Marjolein, what do you have to share? the first thing I heard you say was, why is this political? To me, this is a human rights issue. Mm-hmm. I really don't get why that should be political. Our human no. rights are for everyone, not for someone in a certain political corner or the other one. <laughs> this is human rights. So what What the what? <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, what I've seen happen in HR is that most of the time HR takes our cues from the business. I completely agree that HR should be very connected and partnered with the business. But even if you have a partner who overlooks something that is important, you can tell them and start doing it. I mean, I do that with my partner. Um, You don't have to always let them lead. Um, um, 
on the other hand, you can definitely connect it to business values and business KPIs in, and whatever is important and, and, and business-wise. Uh, but come on, yeah. Um, and I, I do see HR as coming from a very, very much a risk mit mitigation perspective. It's all about risk mitigation and it's all about being scared of doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing or putting the business at risk or putting the HR department at risk of getting pooped upon. Like I said. <laughs> um, and that's really not working for HR, is it? Mm -hmm. So maybe that's, it's time for a change in, in, in there as well. And then, you know, if you're not primarily worried about risk mitigation anymore, then let's just lead. Towards Monique. proper workplaces. Yeah, go ahead. Monique. I think what she was <clears throat> saying about risk mitigation is so important because, you know, discrimination is mm. a big issue in HR and discrimination is almost done on a daily basis in the workplace, workplace with microaggressions, right? Yeah. Um, so I think HR needs to understand their role a little bit better and understand instead of taking cues from leadership, they should be there to educate and advise their leaders. And I think a lot of the times what's happening in HR is a very, it becomes a transactional role and it's no longer a leader role where they see us as a consultant. That's why I always believe that in any organization, you should have your main HR department and then you should bring in a consultant at least once a year. Once a year to really do some audit checking and looking at your compliance, looking at your KPIs for diversity and inclusion, bringing in people who are gonna actually make your process work. You cannot do it alone, um, but so many times HR departments believe they can and they have all the knowledge. They don't, that is the biggest issue. And I think far as like making the best candidate experience for people, we need to really just understand that everything from a job description, not having inclusive language, mm. all the way down to when we get to an actual onsite and people not understanding, like for instance, me, before videos, I used to always do interviews over the phone. People always thought I was Caucasian. I would always get the stare when I got into an interview, like, oh, you're not Caucasian. Just those little microaggression things have an yeah. impact. And they have it where African-Americans speak to their other African-Americans or people of color and they don't want to work in your organizations. That becomes a huge issue because we're always talking about a shortage of talent. There's no shortage of talent. It's a shortage of way you get your talent. Mm -hmm. Are you still hunting for talent the same way? That's the issue. Yeah. And large? Yeah, I mean, I would say the underscore point Kate made, you know, it's time for a titanium spine. Yep. Like, I think that we... When you look at the demographics of HR uh, as a whole, it's still largely a white population, a white workforce. And so, mm -hmm. you know, when, when you're hearing stories of like these microaggressions, uh, you know, unless you're trying to educate yourself, you might not even be aware of that. And then you're part of the problem, you know, so it's this mm -hmm. whole system that these things kind of stack on top, top of each other because the predominant of the population of practitioners are white and they haven't made enough of an effort. You know, we haven't made enough of an effort to really understand, uh, you know, the damage that all those things do. And so when it comes to standing up, you know, having a titanium spine, I think it's a matter of like standing up to the, you know, the organization really, you know, being a voice, especially in this moment uh, for change and for holding people accountable. And, you know, that means occasionally you might have to, you know, throw a badge across the table and leave. Yeah. Um, the organization is not going to respond to that. So, yeah. I also want to say something about microaggressions because uh, some people don't feel the impact of a microaggression. And I wrote an article about it saying that for me personally, microaggression is dealing with uh, killer bees. So when you go to colleague mm. number one, who is, uh, who is killer bee number one, and then mm. you have in the office like 30 colleagues that you're working with and each colleague is making separate uh, comments which are comments that are dehumanizing you on a total and that's what people of color are dealing with almost on a daily basis and that's why also that people of color are fed up they are fed up in general they are fed up yeah amen yeah so <laughs> there's another thing and i'm going to start with monique is the workplace the right place to talk about this social injustice? Because we mentioned, we discussed already, it's not politics, but is the workplace the best place and why? 
The workplace is the best place because this is a place where all humans are. Um, mm -hmm. And if you look at it from an HR standpoint, we value human capital, right? Mm -hmm. These are people who are going to actually do jobs for us. So if we value human capital, we need to understand what's going on with people and how it's going to affect our productivity. So social injustice affect your productivity, bottom line. Um, and anything that is going to, you know, affect humans is a part of HR, whether that's injustice, whether that's microaggressions, whether that's, you know, lack of parenting I'm help. Gonna be, I'm going to be annoying because you mentioned something that we have to repeat. What did you say? Anything that what? <laughs> 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 anything that you know that is around people is an HR mm. issue because yeah. we have everything to do with human capital so that means that anything that a human goes through is an HR issue okay so that means mental health big one for me you mm. know uh, that means injustice big one for me so anything that affects humans and their productivity is a big deal and you don't have to be political. This is what people don't understand. You don't have to go to your 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 whole people and say Black Lives Matter. Um, this is something that we want to do. What you can do is say, hey, we understand the climate of the or of the world right now, and we really want to educate ourselves because obviously this is you know something that we really need to deal with. So bring in some DNI people. Bring in mm. some microaggression workshops. Make an actual. Um, I just worked with a client where we made a digital library and resources where um, basically they have now a full on library of multiple books that they can read and access to workshops that they can leverage at any time so that they and then if they do these then they get extra days off so they're motivating mm -hmm. them by being able yeah they're giving them extra days off so the people who go through all this process and then they're able to then do surveys at the end of the quarter to see has this changed anything you know, has this, what, how are we going to see if this is working out? Um, so there's things that we can do, uh, but we just need to understand that, um, you know, Black Lives Matter is one thing, but human, you know, justice is, is a totally different thing. Mm -hmm. We need human social justice. That's just the reality of it is. Um, your Black coworkers are terrified. We are mm -hmm. exhausted. We are tired of having to explain to you guys exactly what's going on. You got to understand, we've been saying this for years. We've been saying it for years that we were having problems in corporate America. We sit with each other and talk about it, but now we're no longer being silent. And we're going to tell you guys to your face, hey, this is the issue. Mm -hmm. And it's exhausting to do this thing. It's exhausting to do this work. Just this week, I had to like call out my sister-in-law. I had to call out several clients that are mm -hmm. going on. And this is very draining. And HR yeah, needs to understand is. that. And you need to have tools to help your 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 actual um employees you need to have those tools to help them can i add something to that thank Definitely. you for that yeah um if you're in a company and you don't have any black co-workers or you have only one <laughs> you also have a problem yeah because then you have a whole other problem in it or an an, an extra one well um, i think i, I, I think really want to add that to you thank you for what you're saying I think African-Americans, anyone in corporate America, we've always been one or two or three. This is our real world. Like, yeah. can you imagine being Caucasian and working in an all black organization? What would that feel like for you? How uncomfortable would you be? Just would on be the day to day. It, I mean, it would be great because we're great people. We tend to accept mm -hmm. everybody. <laughs> but at the same time, yeah. I know that there's some implicit biases that might go on yeah. just viewing these people. Um, so yeah, we're we're exhausted. And I think the whole one African American in a corporation, that is something that plagues yeah, yeah, that but that plagues tech. I work in startup tech. There's usually three black people for every organization. Yeah. Um, and then they fought their tooth and nail to get there. Usually mm -hmm. when I listen to their higher stories versus someone who's Caucasian or even Asian, it looks different. It feels different. Um, and then if you only have one black person in your organization, you got to look and figure out what's the real problem here. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Because I'm pretty sure black people interviewed for the role. I'm pretty sure they applied for the role. So why are you not hiring them? Then you have to start asking your questions, right? Like, yeah. Okay, so is it the name? Are you having um, problems because the resume has a ethnic sounding name? Uh, you went on their LinkedIn, you noticed that they're African-American, now you're questioning their education and credentials. Like, what is it about them that is not drawing? And to be fair, I've realized a lot of the time it's just the way they recruit. 
they're not going and messaging people where they are. They're going to particular colleges and particular places where most people of color are not. And that's just a simple thing that you can change. Yeah, definitely. And there are so many layers that you can add on, right? The hair. Uh, oh my the, god the way, dress, the way it's 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 oh my god I'm not going to unravel I was gonna say there's so much we can talk about <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, and, and that's part of the problem with human resources right in the mm-hmm. 90s and the er, the 80s 90s early 2000s we focused on we just need to focus on making the widget we're just mm-hmm. going to focus on mm-hmm. making sure everybody can do the widget and we forget that people are much more than making widgets yeah. and so we have to understand that part of it that I don't just get a widget maker every day. I get <laughs> Jamal when he comes into my office. Yeah. And if Jamal last night watched a man die on a video, well, hmm. Jamal is not okay. So yeah. we need to make sure how can we make it so that Jamal feels like he's in a safe place in the first place. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah, good point. And it's all of that. And that's so much, sorry, sorry. There's no, no, so, no, so no, much no. of HR work mm-hmm. to do because it's recruitment. And everything around that, it's mm-hmm. creating a safe workplace and a welcoming workplace. Um, you know, you can you can do one thing and then think, okay, we fixed it. And you, yeah. you have it. It's okay that you did that one it's thing. A, and then a, keep it's going. a work in progress, right? It's just like training yeah. your muscle, going to the gym. You have to train that and keep training it to, to, to raise the awareness, to build upon and to create that safety um for people because otherwise it won't work so i i would like to say by now if you're doing a one year of uh training or diversity person or whatever it's not working you need to do something on a frequent basis so that people learn from this and people can do better lars i uh, i 100 <laughs> agree with that yeah i mean i would say i, th- I think when you look at HR's legacy approach to diversity it was often transactional, right? It was it was often looking at training. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll bring in a trainer. We'll do unconscious bias training. Like look look at this thing that we did. See, we're committed, and it was it was lip service. It wasn't really integrated mm-hmm. into how they operate, how they recruit, how they develop talent, how they retain, how they communicate. And I think that that when you look at more modern companies now, I think they're approaching it uh, in a much different way. That's certainly not transactional. Um, but to all of your points, like it's going to require consistent work, consistent effort. Uh, it, it's not something that can just be kind of bolted on to your HR processes and systems. It has to be integrated into how you think and operate in every aspect of the employee life cycle. Yeah. You know, and that I think is the shift that, uh, that HR needs to have. You know, we're maybe starting to see that in some progressive companies, but we've got a long way to go. We got a long way to go, but still we are holding companies accountable, just like Kate is holding Serum accountable for what they are doing. Hopefully they are waking up and a lot of more companies will be waking up saying that we need to change the injustice, right? This this is a, a weird example, but why are all the companies, why are a lot of big companies withdrawing their money from the Facebook ads? Because they want Facebook to change the climate. Yeah. Why we are, we should be doing something similar like that? Why right? we want to change the climate for better? That's it. That's all we want. We all so, agree. We're nodding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wasn't expecting that, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that that's a good way about it. I yeah. think that, I think. But I think it's bigger than that. I think that, okay, now people are like, okay, Facebook is out, canceled, whatever. Um, But I think it's more about employees holding their companies accountable and us as humans holding each other accountable Mm -hmm. because the reality of it is you can go do a workshop, you can do, you can have someone coming in, but who's going to hold you accountable afterwards? And a lot of these workshops have no accountability piece. So I'm always like, what's going to happen afterwards? And then the organizations have to explain to people what the consequences are of these actions. And they actually have to hold these people accountable for that. So if you have an engineering team and you have no women and your engineering team and there are all men, there's an issue there. 
right? With the mass amount of women that have gone into tech. That's a conversation you have with your hiring manager. You're saying, hey, remember that microaggression and the, you know all of the DNI stuff we talked about and we did a workshop about? Let me see your numbers when you're hiring are all male. Can you let me know what do you think is influencing that? We need to start asking some really hard questions and understanding why we think the way we do. Racism has been ingrained in us. You know what I mean? So um, it's everyone has a little bit of it. And because everyone has a little bit of it, it goes into companies. Um, so I think boycotting Facebook is great, but I think we also just need to boycott companies that don't want to participate. If yeah. you as an employee are going into a company that doesn't want to participate in DNI, doesn't want to participate and having hard conversations, why are you working there? Then that becomes a you problem, not an HR problem. And too many people are complacent and they rather not talk about these things. And we have to hold people accountable. I 100% agree. The one thing that I think for a lot of us stops us from saying something when we hear the microaggression, even though it's not directed at us, or stops us from going to the hiring manager and say, hey, I need to know more about why you didn't want to hire this person. Is it because of the color of their skin? Is the fear of that uncomfortableness. Mm -hmm. We got to embrace uncomfortableness and just yes. love it all up. Because yep. that is where we're going to learn from our mistakes. And the barriers to those are, you know, defensiveness, feeling mm -hmm. guilty, uh, feeling like we're being attacked. All of those things we need to start picking away one at one. And that's where HR has this great platform where we can teach people not to be defensive or realize that this is feedback that's coming from a place that's not attacking you. Mm -hmm. And we, and I just wish we could get to that place where we all understood that importance and then embraced it. And it's gonna be really hard. It's gonna be incremental changes, but I'm all in on it. And I'm hoping that a lot of my brethren, or at least at this point, almost 3,500 of my brethren are in on it to do it. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. have, have any of you guys done that before in your practice and your work? Realize that there are some real issues and had these uncomfortable conversations. What has been um, some of the, you know, what came out of that? Has there been any real true positive change? Yes. For one of my clients, we, uh, my HR person was very afraid of bringing this issue up. And so what I did is I took the hiring manager out for a cocktail. And over the <laughs> cocktail, which was this place mm -hmm. where, you know, we, we weren't in his office because if mm -hmm. we were in his office, he'd be in a position of power. We were yeah. out at a place where when we could still go out to places um, and, you know, over in a more of a casual setting where I could lay out, this is why I think you might be defensive of the, about this. And this is why I want to help you and where, why this is coming from a place of trying to make the organization better. And so I think it worked later. His team had dramatically different engagement scores. We heard a lot about more problems. We heard a lot more good things coming out of his team, but it took that one-on-one -on -one connection to say, I understand you might be defensive here, but this is the feedback we need to talk about. And this is where we think you can be better. So it was fun. That's good. And I really like rum, so. Yeah, that makes so, everything that better. <laughs> that makes everything better. <laughs> and Lars, what do you have to add on to this or maybe something else? Yeah, I mean, I had uh, a company that I worked at uh, years ago had the, the way they were set up is they had this really robust internship program uh, and a lot of talent they would bring in through that. And then over the years, they had a developmental plan and they would have a management track and, um, and it was very successful, but it was very white. And yeah. they basically, uh, it was an unpaid internship program and they went to the same schools and then they came to me and said, you know, we're, we have struggles with diversity and I said, yeah, you do. Uh, and you kind of looked at some of the data and the metrics. And so we, we created, we revamped the program and make it a paid program. We changed the schools that we went to. Uh, and just, just by making those changes, I think within two years, uh, we had the most diverse class that we had had before and that like and then even tracking that a couple of years later uh, more talent throughout the organization and full-time roles uh and the diversity numbers increase overall for the organization and so it was just it was something so obvious that i think the people in the organization just kind of had blinders on because it's the way yeah. it's always been and i came in with just an outside perspective and 
you know, I think that happens sometimes where you have a company that's so set in its ways that they don't, they don't see what they're doing. And you almost yeah. need a set of outside eyes to kind of make it come like, this is so it's, obvious it's, that you, you're you emphasizing what Monique shared earlier, right? You're emphasizing mm -hmm. what Monique shared earlier about sometimes you don't have to know it all. It helps to bring out outside experience so that they can help you broaden your horizon. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So important. Okay. Another question. What or who helped you to understand the challenges that people of color are facing? And I would start with Maria Lang. Um, a few very different things. Uh, I'm, I'm a book nerd. I've always been a reader. I normally wear glasses. I have contact lenses this thick. I've been reading <laughs> since I was a kid, reading stories of people, about people, um, including people of color, mm -hmm. uh, the classics, the, the whatever I, you know, I, I wanted that to be varied and I always looked for for diversity in stories um and i think that primed me from an early age to you know to see that there's different perspectives and to 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 take in those stories um and i come from a, a from a hotel management background that is uh hotel management the, the hospitality business is very much uh target audience focused you know that's your guest find out what he needs Find out what she wants. Find out what she really needs behind that thing that she says she wants. Mm -hmm. um, and and that goes for you know, to me that means finding out about everyone, including people of color, um, and then you know finding out, basing that on what I already read in in fiction, which is very informative because it connects the stories. You know, they come in more strongly when it's fiction sometimes when it's a narrative than when it's just uh, a non-fiction and, and fact um i think that sort of built on built on uh what i was already doing mm -hmm. and um kate uh, I have two friends that have really opened my eyes to a lot of these issues. Um, Janine Truett and Sarah Morgan, I would say, are the two that have been the most impactful on me personally as in a role of human resources part. But like Marlene, I've done a lot of reading. Uh, I listen to them. Uh, uh, White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo, I think, is an amazing book that every white person should Yes, listen to and read um, because it's not only is it a great listen or read, it's also very hard. It's mm -hmm. like you see, you have to self-examine yourself as you go through that book. And it's that's hard work. And I think we are, it's time for us to do that. Okay. And Lars? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's been a mix of um, friends, uh, peers in the industry and, and mentors. Um, you know, I was really fortunate uh, years ago when I ran uh, recruiting at Ticketmaster, uh, we brought in a new CHRO from Southwest Airlines, um, Beverly Carmichael. And she was uh, my boss then, uh, but then was grooming me to be her successor and uh, became a mentor and, and good friend. And so, you know, she's somebody that, you know, even then, I think as I was you know, young, I was, a, you know, roofing into leadership for the first time. Every time I would pitch a program, uh, on the recruiting side, she would she would challenge me uh, from a diversity perspective of the program and and how it would be received and how it would be managed and how we would ensure that uh, you know we would we would be able to kind of embed uh, diverse pipeline and candidates and thinking into how we operated and it was just I think it was a formative time for me at that stage in my career to have somebody who was uh, really willing to kind of invest in me and, and challenge my thinking but. Uh, and, and that, you know, so that, that is, she's somebody that is, uh, you know, still a friend and somebody that I've uh, been speaking to and collaborating on different projects, uh, you know, since then, that was probably 15 years ago. So, so Does she's she know that. Does she yeah. know that? Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And, and Monique, what do you think uh, can help others to understand the, the, the challenges that people of color are facing? I think what the speakers have already mentioned, educating themselves, mm -hmm. reading about it. Um, but I think the biggest thing that you can do is go get you some black friends, mm 
Mm. Go get you some people (laughs) who are black, who you can really respect that can either A, be your friend or be a mentor. I think what I realized, you know, I come from Bay Area, which is highly diverse. Like I had groups of friends of all races of people. And as I grew up and I started to travel more and get, you know, in corporate America, I realized that a lot of these I would say, you know, Caucasian, but other races of people, they just never had black friends. Yeah. A lot of the things that they thought were real or what is a black American experience, they learn from TV or they mm-hmm. learn from some fiction book. Um, so they have all these stereotypes and biases. So I always tell people, if you really want to be an ally, if you really want to understand the experience, go get you some black friends from all different types of backgrounds, right? You because... mentioned something in the beginning. You have to highlight it. Something that you mentioned <laughs> that not all black people are not black all, or being no, black. No, yeah, yeah, yes. Not all skin folks are kin folks. Mm. And that means that the, because of the black experience, because of slavery, that we have African-American people who don't have the same agenda for our whole community. Mm. They're out for themselves on an individual basis and it has a lot to do with the fact it has a lot to do with the fact that when black people make it when we go to college and we quote unquote make it and we get past poverty and all of these things we yeah. feel that need a lot of people feel the need to disconnect from their heritage from their mm-hmm. community and then take on the white agenda this is a survival technique what people don't understand that is a survival technique because their whole life that's what they did in order to get to where they are Okay. Um, so when you are talking to DNI people, when you are figuring out what type of mentors you should have, you need to now figure out is this person speaking from a community perspective of African American, or is this person now just an individual with a per- who actually has more, I would say, American agenda or the white agenda? And that's hard to do. That's very, very hard to do. Um, but I would say the majority of Black people. Um, we are one community and the best way to get to know us is to really get to know us, get you some black friends, go to their houses, work don't with touch them. Our hair. Yeah. Don't touch our <laughs> hair. Do not touch our hair. And don't ask me why I have five different hairstyles in one week because I was bored. <laughs> I'm five different people, but like really have, and then like, I think, I think as a community, we need to be a little bit more open with explaining ourselves to people. Because yeah. I know right now I'm exhausted. I, mm. I, I'm in an interracial relationship. So I've even had to do this with my own family, right? Like having to explain our experience. Um, it's exhausting. But I think as a community, we now have to be a little bit more accepting because we're going to have more hard conversations. More people are going to ask us like, hey, why do you guys do this? I had someone recently ask me like, you know, why do they put the N-word in music if they don't want us to say it? And I was like, oh God, we really have to go through this? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, but at the end of the day, it's real curiosity. And I yeah. think right now, because people are asking the right questions, the way we Black people could be an ally to white people yeah. is to start being okay to be having these educated conversations with them and not be defensive and understand that these are just questions they have because they have no idea. Unlike us, we've always been aware of who we are and we've always been in spaces where we're the minority. They have not. They grow up in a where everyone they know is white. All of their friends are white. Everybody is white. And everything that they know about a black person might be that one person that's in their job or maybe at church. So there's a huge issue there. Just the fact that why do so many white people have no black friends? I think that's a big issue. Like. Mm-hmm. why true i have two more questions that i really want to answer can we go over like 10 minutes is that okay mm-hmm. yeah. all of you yeah so the next question um that i want to share is what are your tips to ensure that hr internationally dismantle racism and injustice in the workplace and to minimize it let's keep it up to two okay. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> I know. You like dismantle it? I'll give you like two and you'll be done by tomorrow. Just a starter. Just a starter. Done. Okay. Um, well, my first tip, it really came up when I was hearing, when I was hearing Monique, it's um, make room in your head for the stories that are out there. 
don't dismiss them and actually listen because you know it's a it's a basic fact of communications that if someone says something you're not going to hear them if they say it five times you slowly start hearing them yeah. you can actually start listening earlier <laughs> and you can um pause your judgment on it or your evaluation or your you know you can that's a are you whining about that that's nothing well that was a microaggression you know if mm -hmm. someone has had that for years on end every day then that's not nothing then that's a lot so it's it's opening up room in your head to listen and to also not um not have an opinion right away um that's my first tip um and the second thing is really look at every aspect of your hr like we just talked about you know you can you can make a lovely recruitment video that is super diverse and that has all kinds of people in there. But, you know, if you're lucky enough to get more diverse candidates, then they're going to land in, in, a, in an organization that is not welcoming to them. So you really need the whole spectrum. And then just make a list and start somewhere, I would say. Gonna leave I, I'd love to hear later. from the other. They're going to leave yeah. sooner than later with all the efforts that you you invested in them. They're going to leave sooner than later. So yeah. Yes, they will. Yeah, yeah. 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 And Lars. I mean, I think it's it's empathy for one. It's mm -hmm. really trying to get outside of your own perspective and your own point of view. I mean, I think that if you're talking about really dismantling all of this, it, mm -hmm. it's going to require a lot of introspection and empathy and effort to understand perspectives other than other than your own. And I think particularly for white people, that's you know that's where the effort it really is important because again, I think a lot of these these systems, if you if you really kind of dig into it for a lot of white people, they're somewhat invisible because they don't impact them. Yeah. And they haven't made the effort to understand them. And they haven't put in the work to really uh, really comprehend what these systems, the adverse impact they have on communities of color. And so I think that that, that empathy, that awareness, um, that understanding and that effort, uh, you know, all of those things I think are, are essential. Um, and the education piece is really vital. I think really understanding the, the history, understanding the, you know, the perspectives that are other than their own, uh, you know, you can't, you can't come to that awareness without that understanding uh, and be prepared to be uncomfortable in some of that. And that's okay. That's part of that process of figuring this out and then being able to be in a position to actually uh, work against it and, and try to drive change. Um, and then to Kate's point, have that titanium backbone to, to stand up for what you now know to be right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I'm, I'm guessing most people will know a, a tiny part of the whole story and just realizing that you've only seen this part of the whole big humongous. I think there was only maybe five people in the whole world who, who know the whole story mm -hmm. or most of it. So that's okay. But, yeah. you know, keep reading. Yeah, my, my tip is use your voice. I mean, we have been talking yeah. about diversity and inclusion for decades now. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of the ways, we know what we should be doing. And mm -hmm. there are things that haven't that have kept us from doing that. So let's use our voice. Let's grow that titanium spine and start doing the stuff we know we should be doing. Yeah, yeah. I think it comes down to doing the work. Just go do the work. Um, stop talking about it. Stop posting mm -hmm. about how you, you know, embrace Black Lives Matters and go do the work. Go look at why you don't have a huge diverse pool of candidates. Go look at why your your Black employees are telling you they don't feel psychologically safe in your organization. Um, and then go look at your life cycle of your employee and figure out what kind of policies or procedures can we make to make this a safe place to work um, and where we're not going to have things like discrimination. And we need to also have some consequences for these actions. Mm. I think a lot of the times I see this done in organizations and there's no consequences. And um, I say if there's no consequences, essentially you're okaying the behavior. Um, so, so that's a big issue. I noticed re it's not regarding consequence, well, a bit, but I noticed one of the banks in uh, in the States uh, wanted to tie diversity rates towards um, towards the appraisal of ah. the manager, right? I yeah. forgot which bank it was, but it was a, a bold move of making diversity, uh, the diversity KPI attached to uh, the promotion of the manager. Yep. That's a huge step. Part of the yeah, description? Mm -hmm. Sorry? Part of the job description? 
part no. of the trip to but also part of the yearly, you know, the yearly bonus. How many? Yeah, yeah. How much? Yeah. How much diversity do you have, and what are you doing as a manager to amplify that and to to maintain, you know, the numbers that are already there? Because sometimes people come in, but they move as fast as they can once they yeah. don't feel, once they don't feel at their place, and that's that's happening. And um, I would like to say educate, educate, educate. Start a book club. Have yes. conversations. <laughs> Have conversations about the book, and at least set something up—a small book club where you, where people can share things, can be authentic, but also know that they are uncomfortable sometimes with sharing things. Open up the space to have that conversation because we need it. We all need yeah. to learn from that. And um, with the leaders, I have to say is be authentic about what you're doing because uh, people can see through you. And if you're just, you know, talking just because it's we are in 2020. We yeah. are sitting at home. We have <laughs> social media to amplify whatever you're doing mm -hmm. and to call you out. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I think another great piece would be put your diversity numbers on your job page, on your mm. career page. Yes. I'm, I, I don't want to go seeking and hiding yeah. and looking at your board member and figuring out if you're inclusive or not. Put those numbers out. And yeah. another radical thing I would love to see is open salaries. Mm. I worked for an organization where they posted yes. all of their <laughs> salaries for every role um, they put genders of how many people they had um, and this is something that I work with almost all of my clients about is really working on being transparent um, once you're transparent you'll be able to see the issues and the problems a little bit quicker than most and you'll be able to you know hopefully market your company as one of the companies that are doing the right thing uh, but yeah, I want to see some diversity numbers. When I go to your landing page, I don't want to have to go see that group picture of the two token black people that you brought from wherever department. And you have to the photo pop, okay? And then have to go through LinkedIn and look at it, all 200 people and go, oh, none of them else are black. Those are the two. Um, so um, I would love for companies just to start being more transparent. And if you don't have those numbers, be transparent about you wanting to get those numbers better and what you guys are working on because we're all a work in progress. Um, so I think those are two things that companies can really do starting like tomorrow saying, okay, we're going to go ahead and share our open salaries. Um, and then we're going to go ahead and put our diversity numbers. Just those things will help hold them accountable. Um, and that's what we need to do. We need to hold these companies accountable. Okay. Last question. Kate, what are you going to do to keep your promise as being a POC ally? Kate? I don't think she heard you. Did you hear I'm me, gonna Kate? I'm going to be loud. You're going to be loud. Okay. Oh, okay. I love it. <laughs> I'm going to be loud. And yes. Challenging. Yes. It already come natural to me. Um, oh, but I'm going to keep doing those things. Cool. Good. And I hope that a lot more people are going to sign up to your petition because we need to show uh, Surum to make changes, to make definite changes. And also, it's not only SAARCHM or the way I pronounce it. I'm looking towards all HR platforms to make this part of their mission. Can you yeah, and uh, the, share the, the link in the comments? Yeah. Yeah. The, the one thing the one thing I'd add is that there's been a lot of pushback on the petition that it's not members that are signing it, mm -hmm. but SHRM has represents the world in human yep. resources. Yeah. Yes, so whether do. you're whether you're one of the 280,000 members, they are still representing us. And so yeah. I encourage anyone who's interested and who wants to push SHRM to do that to sign the petition because it's not just the members; they are representing us as a profession entirely yes definitely definitely and i also have to then go to lars's page so lars mm -hmm. what are you going to do to yeah i mean for me i'm gonna i'm gonna continue to educate myself so i think that that's an important aspect for just my my personal journey and then lead by example um you know be vocal to kate's point where it's appropriate um but also hold people accountable and yeah. stand up for what I know to be right and not shy away from that. So I think that, that that's important. I think in doing that, leading by example, uh, you know, hopefully that's, you know, something that other people can kind of see and realize 
you know, they maybe challenge some of their own behaviors uh, and their assumptions if they're on the wrong side of this. Yeah. And also know that there are still people signing up to this uh, to this site mm -hmm. and uh, Lars set up this site just uh, for event managers or other people who are looking for fantastic black people in the HR field to uh, to to reach out to them. Right. So I hope that more people sign up so that we can see more black people on events on certain sites so that we see that there is a representation in diversity. We also need to call out the event managers to to bring in more diversity. Yep. And um, Mario Lang. I'm going to keep talking with my um, friends of color, my diverse mm -hmm. friends, um, because there's a range in the Netherlands <laughs> uh, everywhere, but also here. Um, and um, uh, and I'm, I'm the kind of person who keeps talking and who keeps reading <laughs> and keeps asking questions. And um, mm -hmm. what I what I do is um, ask questions. Yeah. Of, with the people of the people that uh, are in the organizations that represent us. So there's mm -hmm. there's organizations in the Netherlands as well that are yeah. sharing knowledge that are the platforms. And, you know, I just go and ask their editors and what, uh, what, can you share a bit? Uh, what's your plan? <laughs> so it's, it's, you know, it's pinpricks like that just to just to ask and invite and, and have those conversations and keep having them. And if yeah. they're not having the conversations, I'm going to go over and have and, and ask the questions like, why are you not talking about this? Would you like to talk about this? Um, that is that is my thing. And I really want to make this a long term. I want to make this a marathon. Mm -hmm. So this is not about me going all out on social media for two weeks and then finding something else to do. This is just what i this is what i what i do in the long on the long run yeah and monique i mean I think... we are all allies right but still what, yeah what, what, what are we going to do to <laughs> you know keep this topic alive what are you going to do to keep i think i alive? will be holding my clients accountable mm -hmm. um even the ones that i work for short term is really holding them accountable <laughs> for the work that we worked on and making sure that they actually are delivering on the things that we are working on um, i would say that's the number one thing i'm going to be doing and then i'm not going to be silent about my experience in corporate yeah. america or my friends' experiences about um, their experience, and then creating policies um, and procedures for organizations so I can show them that they can do the work, that they, they can do this in a way that is gonna actually help them, that's gonna increase productivity, that's gonna make sure we have less compl um, compliance issues or you know risk mitigation. So I think that's gonna be my biggest thing. Um, and then making sure that people of color, of all color, have a space where they can have a conversation at work. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the time we don't have that space. Um, so that's why I created like the book club for a couple of my organizations, the digital book club. I really love that idea, Vivian. Mm -hmm. And I went ahead and did this in several organizations and it's helped tremendously just starting the conversation. But once the conversations are over, once this whole BLM is over, as far as you know, people are gonna go into the next back thing, it's going to be me still holding you accountable for your actions. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what I'll be doing. Definitely addressing it with clients and also definitely asking. I mean, um, Maya Line is definitely my partner in crime when it comes to asking uh, certain HR people, certain HR platforms, you know, have you seen anything? Have they said anything? Have they put anything out? No. Okay, then it's time to ask them or ask, you know, some of these nudging questions to to yeah. open up their eyes and giving them the chance to say something about it because we are now four weeks in already and it's shocking to me to see that there aren't th that many outlets for for hr important outlets in the netherlands that are saying something about you know dismantling racism addressing uh, addressing diversity and we need to do something about it so I'm definitely going to use this platform for it, but I'm also going to nudge the companies in itself to do more and to speak more and to uh, hold people accountable. And like I said, you don't, it doesn't end with just a one year or a one time, one off training. You need to train that muscle. You need to train that muscle. So I would like to say thank you for this amazing conversation and uh, it was short notice but i loved it 
I hope you liked it too. I hope you got some inspiration out of it. I definitely got inspired and um, so many thought seats, so many thought seats, definitely. <laughs> so thank you all for participating in this conversation. And I'm, I'm looking forward to see which companies are moving, which platforms are moving to amplify diversity within HR. Bring on the content. Right. I'm gonna start calling them out on on Instagram. Start calling yeah. out all of them. Start yeah. calling them out. Just ask for the content and let, yeah. let them yeah. let them find someone to write that or multiple yeah. people and yeah. and start mm -hmm. sending. Because if it's in the newsletters, then HRP are more likely to read it and think oh, this yes. is a trend because it's on all my newsletters. That's exactly. how trends get born in HR. Yeah. So yeah. go and make the content. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. It was so much fun. <laughs> so to everybody that has been watching this, oh, I forgot one. I forgot to share one comment. And uh, David, I'm sorry. I had to share this one. He shared this one in the beginning. Excellent points. Human resources in general need to remember big human elements again. And as mentioned, um, um, well-being is key, definitely to this as well as diversity and getting different thought process in organizations. So on that note, I'm going to end this conversation. This was let's humanize the workplace and everybody can stay. I'm going to say goodbye to, uh, to the live panel and uh, until next time. Bye, Bye guys. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.